What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 79th episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today, I am stoked to be joined by you, the lovely community as I am rolling a solo show. It's not my first ever solo show, but it's my first solo show in quite some time. And it's been one heck of a week in the gaming industry, so we have a whole lot to cover. We're going to be diving into Activision, Blizzard, and King, the acquisition from Microsoft, and the ongoing investigations. We're going to be diving into Halo Infinite's new roadmap and how the community feels about it. We're going to be talking about Konami announcing a world-loved game at Tokyo Game Show. We're going to be talking about the confirmed details for the Xbox friends and family plan, and so much more. But before we get into all of that, I got to give a huge shout out to the amazing folks who tune in and watch this show every week. It means so much that you guys are watching live or listening on audio services. Love hearing your feedback about the show. If there's anything you want to see tweaked or adjusted, always open to feedback as well. And again, just want to give a huge shout out to the amazing people who subscribe to the channel, who support the show, who drop super chats. Amazing folks like Hargeet who come in here and give free codes to the people listening. There's a lot of amazing, passionate people that I really, truly appreciate tuning in each and every week. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into some of the chaos this week with you. So yeah, I'm going to lean into you guys when it comes to Super Chats. I'm going to lean into you when it comes to questions in the chat because like I said, I'm rolling solo. So I will be talking a lot. I will try not to have you know too much dead air got a long list 2000 words of notes off to my right here so we're ready to rock we're ready to rock and roll and we're gonna have a lot of fun today so if you're excited about the show looking forward to having some fun hit that like button share it out some quick housekeeping before we dive into the topics today this is a solo show for me and this is going to be my last show for the month of september if you follow me on Twitter, you probably have heard that I am moving back to good old Washington State. Excited to be back in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, with that, though, comes the move. And as anyone knows who's moved anything, it is always awful. It is always miserable. And when it comes to a multi-state move, it's going to take a lot of time. So I'm taking the next, I think it's three-ish weekends off. I'm aiming to be back October 1st with a new episode. But there's going to be a lengthy period of time where there are no episodes of Xbox Chatterdays, unfortunately. So again, appreciate everyone tuning in for the last episode for a little while. And let's, let's get right into it here. Starting with the Xbox Game Pass Friends and Family Plan. This has been long rumored and reported on by folks like Windows Central. We have talked about the possibility of Microsoft dipping their toes into a family plan for Xbox Game Pass. We had previously reported that this would allow up to five members on one, one, basically one account for a low, lower price per month, and this would grant all of those members access to all of the amazing perks of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. And now, it's been confirmed. Microsoft is currently testing the program in Ireland and Colombia, and there is now official branding on the Xbox website for what they are now officially calling the Xbox Game Pass friends and family plan. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of us were joking about adding all of our friends together under one bundle here. And I'm, I'm happy to see them embrace that. So on the official website, there's an FAQ. There's a lot of details that officially confirm the program and 
what the community can, can expect. So let me cover the highlights real quick. So the price right now is roughly 21.99 euros a month in Ireland and 49,990 Colombian pesos. And this comes out to, if we're you know converting one to one, roughly $22 a month for US. You can have up to five players share the benefits of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. There is one primary account holder. So for people curious about how this works, what the restrictions are, how this is set up is you have one primary account holder. That holder has all the power to add and remove people from the plan. So one person sets up the account, that person then adds up to four other people. That person, as I've joked about before, can also go in and set parental restrictions. So, you know, like if you have a buddy who's staying up way too late, you know, staying up till 4 a.m. every night playing Destiny, you can be like, all right, I'm putting a, I'm putting a block on you, buddy. You got to go to bed by two. Sorry. Sorry, champ. You're up too late. So, yeah, if you have friends and you want to be the dad, the, the gaming dad of your group, you can absolutely <laughs> enforce some restrictions there. Um, one important distinction, one thing worth noting, I know a lot of people in the Xbox community are familiar with console sharing, embrace console sharing. If you decide to opt into this family, friends and family plan, only the primary account holder can use console sharing. Everyone else cannot. So if you're sharing with someone right now, you'll have to you know, either get them on the same plan or figure out a way to make that work. But only the primary account holder can do console sharing. So in my case, I'll have to be the, I'll have to be the primary because I have uh, Xbox in my office and an Xbox in my living room and my wife and I will play games together. So to maintain that, I'll have to be the gaming dad of our group and get everybody on the same plan for that. Um, and the website, if you're curious about, oh, I have three years of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate stacked, what does that convert to? If you go on the website, there's a breakdown of how everything converts. If you have Xbox Game Pass versus Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, what the rough conversion for time is. So you can convert all of your stacked time into this program as well, which is pretty cool. So I imagine the price when this officially launches in the US will probably be about $24.99 a month. Uh, even though it comes out to 22 a month conversion, uh, we just like those round numbers, 20, 25, 30. Um, so I imagine it'll be $24.99 a month. It would be cool if it was cheaper, but even with that at 25 bucks a month, if you get all five people on the plan, that's five bucks a month. So we already got, I got my Fast and Furious family all lined up. We are ready to go. Um, and we're all going to be saving about $10 a month, which will give us extra V-Bucks to buy dank skins in Fortnite, y'all. Come on. Think of the savings. Think of all the drip you can buy in Fortnite with an extra $10 a month in your pocket. So I am really curious to see how this impacts the growth of Xbox Game Pass, because obviously right now, Microsoft's one of Microsoft's biggest focuses is growing that install base, growing that user base. And they're really leaning into the value proposition of Xbox Game Pass. And Xbox Game Pass Ultimate in of itself for a single person at $15 a month is something many folks, myself included, consider to be the best deal in gaming by, by a lot. There's really nothing that comes close. PlayStation, Plus does have some compelling titles if you are brand new to the PlayStation ecosystem. That is a good value. And Nintendo Switch Online, if you are a big retro player, there's a lot of huge titles in there. But when it comes to new modern games, Xbox Game Pass is, is the leader in a lot of ways right now. And so I'm really curious to see if this or how this moves the needle for them 
and what the reporting looks like once this goes live in more regions. I don't have an estimated window for rollout in the US, but somebody on Twitter posted basically an inactive bundle link for a one month trial of Xbox friends and family in the US. So I have to imagine that that is gonna be rolling out before the end of this year. And that could be a big boon for the holidays because as we have these concerns regarding the recession and everyone, you know, figuring out what subscription service they, they can cut. I've been doing that across the board. I've been looking at subscription services that I don't need anymore and kind of trimming the fat. And I know a lot of families are in the same boat. So this is going to be a huge boon for families, especially families who have multiple children, or if you have a dad and a couple children or a mom and a couple children that play games together. And it's not going to be a matter of, okay, we got to buy three Nintendo Switches. Okay, now we have to get, we have to do the, the Nintendo Switch family plan. Um, Xbox makes it a lot easier because you can do it on PC with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. You can do it on mobile and you can do it on console. So it's easy to say, oh yeah, pretty much anyone in this household can take, take advantage of the benefits of the service because yeah, we have a lap, we have a computer. Yeah, we have a phone. Yeah, we have an Xbox. And that is going to be a huge value drive for the service. So really excited to see this confirmed. Really eager to have this roll out so I can start saving some money. And um, yeah, so if you haven't looked into all of the details, you can go on uh, Xbox Ireland right now and Xbox Columbia and read all of the juicy details. And there's a lot of good info in there. But those are the highlights. So want to give a huge shout out to all the amazing people tuning in live. I see Hargit Chani. I see Safo. I see Yodani. A lot of amazing people showing up, supporting the show. Appreciate you rocking with me on this solo show. Again, I'm going to be leaning into the audience a lot. If you have questions, any topics you want to cover, uh, drop them in the chat here. We'll definitely get into it. Um, all right. So next up, Assassin's Creed Mirage was leaked and then confirmed this week. So keeping up with traditions, uh, the newest entry in the long-running Assassin's Creed franchise was leaked earlier this week on Twitter. And then a bunch of DMCA uh, takedowns hit the streets, essentially confirming that these leaks were legitimate. And then shortly after, Ubisoft confirmed that Assassin's Creed Mirage is a real thing. And you can learn more about it at the Ubisoft Forward event on September 10th. So that is all that we know officially. It, we have one brief image of Assassin's Creed Mirage, and we know that more details are coming on September 10th. Those things have been officially confirmed. But the leaks that got taken down have a lot more information about what this project is and what players can expect from this project. So according to the leaks, Assassin's Creed Mirage will launch in spring 2023, which would be a quick turnaround from reveal to release. The setting is Baghdad, Baghdad, Baghdad in the late, eight, late 800s. It's being referred to as a return to basics for the franchise with no leveling inspired by the OG Assassin's Creed. And the leak suggests the protagonist will be Basim from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So some interesting, really interesting details here. The back to basics approach is going to be really fascinating if this turns out to be true, because we've seen this conflict since Assassin's Creed has shifted from its traditional stealth based system to the more open world RPG system with Assassin's Creed Origin and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I personally thought when Origin came out that it was a huge 
necessary shakeup for the formula. I was in the camp at that time that Assassin's Creed had become so stale because they were doing the same thing every single year with a new setting, much like a lot of the, the Maddens of the world and the Call of Duties. They weren't given a lot of freedom to iterate and, and change the formula. So when Assassin's Creed Origin hit, I was like, oh, this is, this is so refreshing because it's so different. And now that we've had Origin, Odyssey, and Valhalla, uh, there have, there's been this rise of people in the community that, that want that traditional Assassin's Creed experience, that want the more old-school, stealth-focused experience. And it sounds like Assassin's Creed Mirage is going to be that. So I'm curious to know what you guys think. Are you excited about Assassin's Creed, quote, going back to its roots and embracing the, the stealth foundation that was built upon? Or are you someone like me who really does prefer the new open world RPG approach? And it's going to be really interesting to see how that lands and how they go back to that original formula and introduce some new ideas. Because that's going to be the most important thing is I don't think anyone's going to want a game that just is Assassin's Creed 1 with better graphics. I think they're really going to need to innovate and expand upon the stealth that people love. And if they can do that successfully, I think that's going to be huge for that group of people who want that traditional experience. Because every time I go online and look at Assassin's Creed discourse, there are people who really, really miss that, that classic Assassin's Creed feel. And that, that was a reason they were doing one every single year is because that formula was, was popular and people were really excited about it. So to see them go back or to hear the, about them potentially going back. Again, this is a leak. Nothing is confirmed officially, but the fact that they were DMCA takedown makes me think that, yeah, those are, that's probably real. But again, next week we will get more official details on Assassin's Creed Mirage. All right, a couple super chats I'm going to get to real quick here. Nick W says, hi, Miles. Do you think that Killer Clowns from Outer Space should have a single-player campaign as well as multiplayer? That is... There's been a lot of controversy with this re resurgence of horror franchises coming back in a form that is multiplayer only. We've had Friday the 13th. We've had Evil Dead the game. We're getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're getting Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, your boy. Oh, your boy's eating good. Your boy's eating good as a huge horror fan, as someone who grew up watching these, these horror franchises. Oh, I, no complaints. Zero complaints from me. The thing that when we talk about this need for a single player campaign or a want for a single player campaign versus multiplayer only, I think the reality is, unfortunately, that the justification when you're when you're looking to get a pub a game published, there is more of a draw, more of a guaranteed sense of I don't want to say success, but at least interest when you say that Killer Clowns from Outer Space is 10 players. That means if you have a group of friends like myself, I'm going to be harassing every single person I know to play Killer Clowns from Outer Space because I want to play with my friends. I think it'll be a good time. Whereas you, if you do the single player for a very, let's be real, as much as I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that is the most obscure thing that's ever been turned into a video game I can imagine. When it comes to horror franchises that I thought would get a video game adaptation in 2022, 2023, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was not in the consideration in any capacity, any way, shape, or form. Seeing that reveal got me so excited because it shows that they have, they have to have good ideas. If somebody's willing to say, yeah, most people have no idea what this is, but sure, let's go. 
I remember getting excited about Evil Dead, which I think is objectively a way bigger franchise. And still, a lot of people on my timeline were like, what's Evil Dead? What the hell is this old-ass thing? And so, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is even more obscure, obscure and even older. So, yeah, as much as it would be cool to get a full, fully-fledged single-player campaign, it's a matter of justifying the budget, gauging interest, and delivering something that has potential to sell. And as much as I would be there day one, I don't know that a single-player-only Killer Clowns from Outer Space game would do anything for anyone. And that sucks. Sucks to say. I don't like to say that, but that's just kind of the reality of some of these obscure franchises. Hargy Chani says, love the Assassin's Creed announcement. I like the old-style Assassin's Creed. All right, Hargy, he is part of the, the old-school Assassin's Creed love, and I respect that. I appreciate that. And for the people who want that, I'm excited to see how Assassin's Creed Mirage lands, especially with uh, games like Prince of Persia, that kind of remake getting, sh not shelved, but postponed indefinitely. Uh, it'll be nice to have something, if this does truly launch in spring of 2023, to, to fill that void. And Yodani, speaking of obscure horror franchises turned into multiplayer games, Trolls 2, asymmetrical horror game, when? Yeah, let's go. If you haven't watched Trolls 2, take take this weekend to sit down with some loved ones and watch cinema, cinema at its finest. Some of the all-time worst quotes of any movie. And I don't want to spoil anything for you, but I will tell you the brief synopsis of what this movie is. The Trolls 2 is a movie about this little group of goblins, these little, this little group of creatures. They are vegetarian. So it's a vegetarian group of monsters. And to be able to eat humans, they feed them this, this pudding, this goo, that turns them into plants so that they can eat them. So instead of just making them, you know, trolls or goblins that could just eat people and would just eat people, they made them vegetarians and then, for, and then tricked humans into eating stuff that would turn them into plants. And, oh, it's... Oh, it's beautiful. It's something special, y'all. And so if you want a little cheese, if you want a little fun on this weekend, try to track down Trolls 2. I am sure it's streaming somewhere. All right, Assassin with the Super Chat says, Hey, Miles, did you happen to catch Matt Booty's interview at PAX? We finally got some info on Fable and Perfect Dark. Yes, it was really interesting to hear Matt Booty talk about projects like Fable. And it was really funny to have him say that the team was basically... I'm sure they've been pushing. I'm sure Matt Booty, I'm sure Phil Spencer, I'm sure a lot of the executive team at Xbox have been like, Playground, please, people want to see Fable. We need to show Fable. We want to show Fable. And it was funny that <laughs> he came out and basically said that Playground was like, no, no, we're going to show Fable when it's ready and not a second sooner. And I love that dynamic. And I love the fact that Playground has the ability to come out and just tell Matt Booty, no, dude. Calm down, be patient. When it's ready, we will show it and tell them, leave us alone. Like I, I really, really love that dynamic. And to get some kind of very brief, limited details about Perfect Dark, the comparisons, it's this hybrid between Born Identity and James Bond, which a lot of us kind of assume that's, that's what it would be. But again, it's, it's nice to get, it's nice to have those mentioned by an official figure because those are very highly anticipated projects that a lot of people in the com community, anytime there is a show with Xbox involved, those are the games people want to see. Hellblade 2, Fable, 
Perfect Dark. Those are the games that people want to see. And so it was nice to have him come out and confirm those. So if you haven't watched it yet, yeah, there's a nice chat with Brittany Baumbauer. I might have butchered her last name uh, from What's Good Games and Matt Booty about Xbox Game Studios. Another really interesting portion of that segment for me, for me was the summits, the talk of all of these teams coming together from Xbox Game Studios and sharing their tech, sharing their ideas, sharing the ways that they handle certain systems. And to me, I think that is one of the most important aspects of Xbox Game Studios is their ability to be able to leverage the expertise of all of these well-established teams with really great ideas. And I want to see them lean into that more. I know the pandemic really hampered that, but moving forward, Hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> pending, you know, the reality and everything going on there, that that becomes more of a staple. Because I think if you can lean into the expertise of your teams and embrace it, you're only going to make better games. Because one thing that I've learned throughout my years of, of leading teams and, you know, basically working directly with people is that you just can't, you cannot be an expert in everything. As much as some of us have the ego, we want to be the expert in everything. We want to have the idea that gets used for everything. At a certain point, you just have to understand that somebody does it better. Somebody has a better idea than you. And that takes a lot of courage and strength to be able to admit that and embrace that. And if Xbox Game Studios can succeed with these summits and use that to leverage all of this expertise, imagine a world where the, the, the amazing the incredible water physics of Sea of Thieves. That's just standard. That is just a standard practice at Xbox Game Studios because Rare is like, here you go. Here's the tech. Here's how we do it. Here's how it works. And now moving forward, all of these other amazing games just have the water of Sea of Thieves. And so those are the kind of things that I kind of envision with Xbox Game Studios. And when I hear Matt Booty talk about these summits, those are the things I get excited about, about the wild possibilities for what that means for these games. <sighs> All right. Next up, we have the on <laughs> we have some details on the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. So obviously, if you have been on twitter.com in the last several years, acquisitions have been a huge talking point for Xbox. After Xbox announced Bethesda, a lot of people speculated that, you know, anything is possible. Anything and everything is possible when it comes to acquisitions because Microsoft is willing to spend $7.5 billion, I think is what it was at the time, on an acquisition. And at that, at that time, that number was staggering. We were all online talking about how $7 billion is such an absurd amount of money. And then not too long after, Microsoft announced their plans to acquire Activision Blizzard King for roughly $69 billion, which absolutely shattered the Bethesda number. And that is and is going to be the biggest acquisition in video game history. So there's been a lot of people, I I'll just blatantly say, impatiently waiting for this deal to close. There's been a lot of people in the Xbox community who are like, I want this deal closed right now because I want Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on Xbox Game Pass this holiday. Let's go. And so you, you see like, oh, okay, well, it passed in Saudi Arabia. That means the deal must be done, right? The deal's, yeah, it's already getting approved in some countries. This deal's, it's done. It's ready to go. And we got some updates this week that suggest that, no, the deal still has a little ways to go. And I will remind everyone as we talk about this that Microsoft's original targets for this deal closing, they were 2023. And they've 
stuck to that. And I think they, they understood that, you know, even though they're, I personally don't see a world where this doesn't go, go through. I think they understood that a lot of people are going to be asking a lot of questions just simply because we've never had a deal like this. And I don't think that's inherently wrong, but I think they knew it wasn't going to be as easy as, yeah, we're, we're going to play nice. Here you go. Here's all the details. And everybody's going to just sign and move on. So we did get some statements from some noteworthy figures in regarding this investigation this week. So the UK CMA, which is the Competitions and Markets Regulator, addressed a statement regarding micro, the concerns surrounding this impending acquisition. So let's start with what the CMA Let's start with CMA's statement on this acquisition. The CMA is concerned that having full control over this powerful catalog, especially in light of Microsoft's already strong position in gaming consoles, operating systems, and cloud infrastructure, could result in Microsoft harming consumers by impairing Sony's, Microsoft's closest gaming rival, ability to compete, as well as other existing rivals and potential new entrants in the space. So the CMA has come out and said that, you know, we are, we're concerned about Microsoft's impact. Basically, they're concerned about Microsoft's ability to be able to spend 70 billion-ish dollars on a publisher. And, you know, I think if you look at just that section of their concern, I think that's fair to be, to say that, oh, nothing like this has happened before. We are concerned about what this means for the industry. I don't think that is unfair. Um, but then there's some specific notes that people are pointing out and pulling out here where CMA is basically saying that they're not as concerned about the entire industry impact as they are, like they specifically address this impairing Sony's ability to compete, which Microsoft has publicly said that Sony is, Sony's the market leader. Don't, and Sony is the market leader here. So it is weird that they specifically call out Sony, impairing Sony, Microsoft's closest rival, ability to compete. That is a big point of contention for a lot of people. And so I've seen, you know, the, the conspiracies going around that um, Sony is, is paying off the CMA to try to block this deal and stuff like that. Again, I don't know. I don't have, I'm not going to make any wild claims like that because none of us have the info or the data to suggest that is the reality. But Microsoft fired back. <laughs> regarding the CMA's claims here. Uh, we're ready to work with the CMA on next steps and address any of its concerns. Sony, as the industry leader, says it's worried about Call of Duty. We've said we are committed to making the same game available on the same day on both Xbox and PlayStation. We, wanna, we want more people to have access to these games, not less. So these, these types of statements are really fascinating to dissect. And that's why so many of us are talking about it online is because in no other context ever would you have Microsoft come out and say that Sony is the industry leader. Sony is obviously the industry leader. Sony is obviously beating us. Sony is obviously making more money than us. And then on the other side of the coin, never ever in any other context would you have PlayStation come out and say that they're basically scared of Game Pass and they're scared about what that means and they're scared of losing Call of Duty. Because as we know, Sony's been banging its first party drum. Sony's been smashing that first party drum. We have the best exclusives in the entire industry. A lot of people would agree, especially if you go on, on twitter.com. But to have them come out and say that they're worried about losing Call of Duty, which is a third party, 
and to have them come out and say that they're worried about Xbox Game Pass when they've, you know, tried to downplay the impacts of Game Pass publicly. That's fascinating. And that's what I love about these statements because nowhere else ever would you get those juicy little details. We get a peek behind the curtains and we get to see how these companies really truly feel about this deal and what it means. And the reality is, yes, this is a huge deal for Xbox. This would be a huge boon for Xbox. And yes, the reality is that this would suck for PlayStation. That is the reality, absolutely. Is it illegal? Is it unethical? You know, those are the questions that people are asking and they're trying to figure out. Again, I don't see this not going through, but it's, I think it's perfectly fine and healthy to, to have the conversations and to give a $70, $70 billion deal its due diligence. I think that is totally fine. And I think where these sentiments get a little skewed is that because the video game industry even though it's been around for a while when it comes to these big acquisitions and deals that's a very recent thing compared to the entertainment and industry where that's been happening for a long time these types of acquisitions are very new and i'm sure there's a lot of folks who are honestly a little unfamiliar with the industry how it works competition what subscription services mean what all of the you know what what competition really looks like in the space and i think that's where those concerns and questions are coming from and maybe ignorance is harsh and i don't I'm, I'm not trying to down you know discredit people at the cma but i think the reality is that this is going to be a learning experience for them and maybe these initial questions they have that seem inflammatory, seem hostile, maybe once Microsoft gives them an answer for, for what it looks like, how it's going to impact the industry, they'll have a better understanding of, of what it truly means. And again, I've publicly talked about how I don't necessarily want the entire industry to be owned by a few small parties. We've already seen this in film. Disney, for the love of God, owns so much. Disney, Viacom, and, a f and two others, I think, own pretty much every single media entity out there. And that's, again, there are concerns there. That, that's, that is a weird place to be because you have a small handful of companies controlling this huge scope. So I don't think it's unfair to question that. But I, I just think the CMA in this case, because this is such an unprecedented deal, they don't really have all of the info they need. So let's talk about Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer dropped a lengthy blog post addressing the future of, of ABK, what this deal means for Xbox, and what this deal means for Xbox Game Pass subscribers. So Phil Spencer says, we are expanding choice in two ways, through the creation of Game Pass, which gives players a subscription office option, and by bringing more games to mobile platforms, including through our cloud game streaming technology. Subscription services like Game Pass make gaming more affordable and help players from all over the world find their next favorite game. Game Pass empowers developers to bring more games to more players, not fewer. We intend to make Activision Blizzard's much-loved library of games, including Overwatch, Diablo, and Call of Duty, available in Game Pass, and to grow those gaming communities by delivering even more value to players. We hope to continue growing Game Pass, extending its appeal to mobile phones and any connected device. So we've all assumed that Call of Duty, that Diablo, that Overwatch, pretty much every single game under the ABK banner, banner would be included in Xbox Game Pass. But this is the first official sentiment we've received from any figure at Xbox that this, these specific franchises are targets for Xbox Game Pass. 
And again, that is, that is going to be a huge draw for Microsoft's subscription service. When you can play Call of Duty day one in Xbox Game Pass, when you can play Diablo 4 day one in Xbox Game Pass, when you can play Overwatch and get new, new content, it's going to be free to play, so that'll be an interesting one to see how they swing that. I imagine perks will be a factor, but a lot of big, wait, the, the Odyssey game that Jez talked about, I don't know that he was supposed to talk about it, but he talked about it anyway, um, that, the Odyssey title, the, the survival, Blizzard, MMO, like those are going to be huge draws for that service and those are going to carry a lot of weight. So it is nice to get that confirmation. I mean, again, we all assumed that that was the case here. But another interesting report came out of, I think it was The Verge, correct me if I'm wrong, um, regarding Phil Spencer sending a letter to homie Jim Ryan about Call of Duty specifically when this first deal was announced. So part of this letter stated that they're willing to, you know, extend Call of Duty and keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for, quote, several years beyond the existing contract. So they are going to continue to support the existing contract, which I believe or is speculated to end in 2024. And they and Phil Spencer said, and we're going to give you several more years. So again, that has rekindled the Call of Duty exclusivity conversations because they're saying two different things here. To the regulators, they're essentially saying, yeah, we're going to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. We're going to keep it everywhere. You can play it everywhere. Um, and then he's sending a letter to Jim saying, yo, dog, I'll give you a couple years. You get a couple year buffer because I'm a nice guy. Then beyond that, oops, Call of Duty's gone, son. So there's some conflicts there. And I think that's going to make the conversations interesting because obviously Microsoft wants to appease regulators. Obviously, Microsoft wants to say all the right things because... They'd want this deal to go through. For one, it would be a huge boon to their business. And two, they would lose a lot of money if it didn't go through. It would be a not only a loss of money, but it would be a huge PR hit, I think, in a lot of ways. Because there's a lot of proud energy, a lot of fan energy, like we've seen online, pushing for this deal to close. Close the deal. Close the deal. Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Game Pass Day 1. <laughs> Which, I don't think that's happening. Um, I don't think the deal's going to close immediately there's a chance it could potentially maybe close before the end of this year but i don't see the timing being as magical as it would be that it would close with enough buffer time to set up all of the stuff to get all of duty modern warfare 2 in game pass day one and again i don't we don't know there's been speculation on what the contracts look like for between playstation and call of duty and blah 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 but I just don't think Call of Duty specifically is going to hit Game Pass day one this year. But if it closes early in 2023 or closes towards the end of this year, there is a chance we get Diablo 4 day one in Xbox Game Pass. And that also would be a tremendous boon, especially if they can get it on PC and console really lean into that Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and get it so day one, Diablo 4 is on PC Game Pass and Xbox Game Pass. That, I think, objectively would be a humongous get for the service, especially if this is compounded with Forza and this is com compounded with Redfall and Starfield. There's a lot of momentum in the first half of 2023 for Xbox, and that is going to be the true test to see how impactful these big noteworthy exclusives are on getting people to su su subscribe to Xbox Game Pass because 
Starfield, y'all. If Starfield isn't going to get people to sign up for Game Pass, what is? What's supposed to do it? So that's going to be really interesting to see what that all looks like. And obviously, Call of Duty, even if it isn't exclusive, just the weight of Call of Duty being a Game Pass title. We've talked about this on previous episodes, the last couple, I think, but the reality is there are going to be a huge number of people who look at Call of Duty and say, I play Call of Duty every year. All of my friends, we play Call of Duty. We love Call of Duty. And if Microsoft can come out and say, you know, you can keep playing on PlayStation. What about this? What if you don't have to pay 70 bucks? What if you just get it day one in Xbox Game Pass? And you know what? What if we give you sweet perks? What if we give you the first battle pass free? And then every month we give you some cool exclusive cosmetics with your Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription. The reality is there's gonna be a lot of people who look at that and say, you know what, let's go. I love Call of Duty. I'm not necessarily 100% sold to PlayStation per se, but historically PlayStation has had a lot of the exclusive content that I want. And there's been a lot of benefits for me playing Call of Duty on PlayStation. And so if Xbox can get those back, wrangle those back in and get those, you know, back to the Xbox 360, the, the Call of Duty box, the bro box days in some capacity, um, that's going to be a huge boon for the, for, the, for the platform. And so again, as cool as it would be when we talk about the exclusivity conversations and the platform conversations to have Call of Duty be a true exclusive, I think the... Real reality is, especially on the multiplayer side of things right now, everyone knows that if you put your game more places, more people are going to play it and you're going to make more money. That's just, that's just the reality. We've seen it time and time again. And there's a reason that games like Fortnite are humongous. And there's, games, there's a reason games like Multiverses come out and just dominate even established franchises like Mortal Kombat, for example, because it's just available anywhere it's free, so there's no barrier to entry. And if you could use Game Pass to kind of substitute that free quote-unquote factor, that is, that's going to be huge. And so I'm really curious to see how they lean into it. And I personally think that, hey, leave it multi-platform. Leave it multi-platform. You're just making 70 bucks a pop on anyone who buys it on PlayStation. You are still making that money, but you are using Game Pass. And the value, because value has been the biggest driver for Xbox this, this generation. We have the most affordable console. We have the best value in gaming with Xbox Game Pass. Lean into that. Again, there is nothing better than having somebody want to buy into your platform. It's one thing to say, all right, you want to play this game? You have to play it here. It's only here. You're used to playing it somewhere else. We're going to pull it and we're going to put it here. Like There are people who, who will suck it up and do that. But the reality is, Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. And so if you're forcing consumers to do something, you're forcing players to ditch uh, an ecosystem they've invested in, you know, it's not going to be nearly as effective as having an ecosystem and a platform that everyone just wants to be in. And again, that is so hard. Having that true organic power and weight, having a service and a platform that people just gravitate towards, that is, that's the holy grail. That is the boon. That is the dream. You cannot buy that. And so that's why I want, I want Microsoft to just lean into that and embrace it and not really, they don't necessarily have to do those old school, traditional, sorry, guess what? You want to play, you got a phone, right? Like those, those kind of moments. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't need to do that. And if you can, you know, create an offering that is just undeniably intoxicating, that's, that's way more impactful, way more impactful. All right, let's get to some super chats here. 
before I cover the rest of this Activision Blizzard King announcement. Huge shout out to everyone tuning in live. Again, this is a solo show, so I appreciate you hanging out. Appreciate you tuning in, having conversations in the chat, dropping super sh chats, keeping the show vibing. Appreciate you all so much. Um, let's get to some super chats here. All right, we got Hargeet. Johnny, who says, we're concerned that the 80-plus percent market share monopoly in the AAA console game space enjoyed by Sony in the UK will possibly have competition. This cannot stand. Yes, that, again, there are some funny sentiments from that CMA statement, for sure. And again, I don't, I don't like to use the word ignorance because it seems meaner than I want it to be, but I just don't think they understand the current reality of the situation, especially when it comes to PlayStation in the UK. Um, that, you know, Xbox is already competing, I would say toe to toe in the U S this generation, which is already a huge improvement over last generation, but the UK, whew, that PlayStation foothold has just been so long established. It's really genuinely hard to compete. And so now that PlayStation is in a world where there is true, genuine competition that can genuinely impact their business, um, they're definitely worried. But I don't think that that is grounds for this deal to not go through because there is competition. Um, that's the whole point of what these boards try to ensure is that there is healthy, fair competition in the space. And when you look at the data, Xbox is losing in the UK. And in, in well, I guess UK is kind of, they're doing okay. They're, I wouldn't say they're you know, getting bombarded. They're doing pretty well in the US and the UK, but Europe especially, um, you could say they're losing for, for sure. And so, yes, there is more competition, which makes things interesting. It's way more interesting to talk about where everyone stands this generation because everyone is on edge. Everyone knows that if they, if they misstep, they do something wrong, somebody's going to capitalize on that hard. And what I want to see with these price hikes from PlayStation I would love to see Xbox do some promotional price cuts. Just to be like, oh, you're raising your prices? Oh, oh oops. Uh-oh, guess what? This is for a couple months. We're going to make it cheaper. We know it's hard to get a PlayStation right now. We know it's expensive. Um, do do a, a brief you know, month or two promo just to really salt the wound a little bit. <laughs> and again, that's the kind of stuff that's going to be happening because there is way more competition and people are looking at their subscription services. They're looking at their budgets and they're saying, all right, we can take the financial hit here for this PR gain, which long-term, if we can sell somebody on this platform, we can sell somebody on the vision of game pass. We can sell somebody on the vision of Xbox game studios. We can win them. We can, we can keep them locked in. And that's what you want. That's why a lot of cell phone providers talk about how it's so much easier to keep a customer than it is to get a new one. And that's true. All right, some more super chats. Hargy Johnny dropping 220, 2,200 credits for the quote dead game Halo Infinite. What a legend. Dropping some credits, get some Spartan drip, courtesy of Hargy Johnny. All right, and then Saints Row. Dang, dropping another one. Hargy Johnny with the Saints Row code in the chat as well. And I got to say, I've been having fun with Saints Row. I know it's, it's memed, it's getting lambasted online. I've talked about this briefly, but. I'm about 30 hours in now, and I unlocked the ability to make my skin look like raw beef and to make my cars look like raw beef, and I unlocked these melee guns that are just boxing gloves on springs, and I'm just punching people in the streets, and sure, it's dumb. Sure, it's a little buggy, 
Um, sure, it's probably not worth $60 to everyone, but it's... Damn it, it's fun. It's a fun game, all right, and I'm not afraid to say. All right, Assassin with a super chat says, what's your opinion on Microsoft selling 16,000 consoles last week in Japan? Xbox is growing there very fast. Also didn't know how popular Forza Horizon 5 is there. Let's go. Again, Xbox, what has frustrated me about Xbox with the Xbox One generation, and I wrote a lengthy editorial breaking down the history of Xbox in Japan is as much as people say Xbox never had a chance or Xbox has always been dead in Japan, that's not true. The OG Xbox coming out of the gate and into the Xbox 360 had a lot of momentum and they spent a lot of time investing in Japanese projects and working with Japanese developers and it paid off. They had, and some of this was tied to exclusives like Dead or Alive 4, which I think had like a 50% attach rate in Japan. There was something like, there was over a million consoles, 360 consoles sold in Japan, but I think it was like 400 or 500,000 copies of Dead or Alive 4, which was an Xbox 360 exclusive. So they've had success in Japan and that just complete, that support completely went away with Xbox One. And now we're seeing it come back and having Phil Spencer come out on stage and talk about their commitments to Japan. That means a lot to me. And I'm really curious, and we're going to talk more about this towards the back part of the show is, what are they going to bring at Tokyo Game Show? If at the Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase, they came out and said, Japan's important to us. And here's why. Hideo Kojima, y'all. Woo! Hideo Kojima is working on an exclusive Xbox game. Let's make it happen. Let's go. Um, again, we'll get more into that. But I'm curious to know what else Xbox is cooking over in Japan. All right, Hargi. My goodness, dude. He's just dropping codes like crazy. A Cult of the Lamb US code in the chat. My goodness. Everyone give this give this man a round of applause right now. The support here is unreal. Um again, really appreciate all of you tuning in. Really do talk about this at the start of the show, but if you're just joining us, um huge shout out to, to you for, for hanging out and joining me, especially on a solo show. So let me make sure I've covered all my points on the Activision Blizzard King details. All right. Yeah, I talked about how I do believe that the yes. So overall, I think the Activision Blizzard King deal, deal will go through, but there are going to be some hoops to jump through. And I think a lot of us are just going to have to be patient. We're going to have to, you know, kick back and give up on the dream of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 launching day one in Game Pass. I think we can just realistically for now expect that not to happen. And if it does, what, what a nice surprise, huh? That's where we should be at. Just assume little. And then when something cool happens, it's, it's a nice little reward, a nice little treat. So yes, I would say give up on that. I do think the deal is going to go through and I do think there are just going to be some hoops to jump through. And I think that is why early on Microsoft said, yeah, 2023, because they know they're going to have to talk to all these countries. They're going to have to make their pitch to all of these countries. They're going to have to persuade all of these countries that they're the good guys. You know, we're not bad. We're not trying to take games from anybody. We're actually trying to bring games to more players around the world. And, you know, again, when we compare it, especially to the entertainment industry, where we have figures like Disney, who owns Marvel, Star Wars, just look at the web. It's disgusting how much they actually own. Um, by comparison, Microsoft on the gaming side is it's just a small, just a small little thing. I don't want to say small. That's diminishing. It's not nearly the majority that we see in other sectors of entertainment. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Sorry, getting caught up on my notes here. Um, 
Oh, yes. So since Jez brought up Odyssey, the Activision Blizzard uh, survival MMO, um, I guess I figured I could give you a little teaser here as well. Because, yes, as Jez mentioned, you know, there's been some footage making the rounds of Odyssey. So I have seen Odyssey in action. And if you tuned in last week or maybe the week before, I talked about my, my fantasy f- Hobbit game, the, the open world, the gargantuan, the beautiful, sprawling Hobbit cooking sim where you, you scavenge the lands and you look for resources and you go home and you make these elegant, succulent dishes. Like that is my dream open world game. It's just a Hobbit chill ass, like Animal Crossing, but with the budget of something like Death Stranding. Like that, like a chill slice of life Hobbit game. Odyssey, from what I've seen, has a lot of really elaborate cooking mechanics, which got me very excited. So you're seeing people bring all these ingredients and Monster Hunter style, I assume, you're getting buffs. So you can have somebody, it seems like, almost specialize in cooking in this and make, make a meal for your hunting squad before you go on an expedition and stuff like that. More cooking in video games, please. Sea of Thieves, if you're listening, update your cooking, all right? It's cool that I can cook chicken. It's cool that I can cook a little pork chop. Let me add some herbs and spices. Let me, bam, let me kick it up a notch, all right? Let me make some food, all right? So from what I've seen of Odyssey, that is going to be a focus, and that has me excited. So one final, one final question for the people tuning in live or listening after the fact. What are your thoughts on the current state of this deal? Do you at this point do you have any legitimate concerns that this won't go through? Um, yeah, let me know. I'm curious. Like I've said, I don't really have any legitimate concerns that this won't go through. I think everything is moving along as they expected. And again, as much as we see the dramatic headlines and what this could mean, sure, yeah, there is there is a world where this deal doesn't go through. Nothing is official until it's official, and that is my stance on everything in life. <laughs> so there is a chance it doesn't go through, but that. Being said, I think it is a very slim chance. All right, y'all, it's time. It's time, y'all. All right, if, so if you, if you are watching live, I need your energy right now because we're going to dive into the, the, the conversation of the week. We're going to dive into the biggest, most controversial, controversial topic by far this week. And it involves our good pals at 343 Industries and their their little indie game, Halo Infinite. So I'm, before I dive into this, because I've been accused of, of dooming and glooming surrounding Halo Infinite, um, everything that I say here is meant to be constructive. Everything here has been carefully considered. This isn't me, you know, mad, screaming into the void. Everything I'm going to talk about regarding Halo Infinite today is with the best intentions. I just want to say that before, because I know people are tired of hearing negative thoughts on Halo Infinite. And I've joked about this. I'm tired of talking about negative things regarding Halo Infinite, okay? You think I like, anyone who follows me, anyone who knows me, knows I don't like to just relish in the negative things. My general rule is, if it's something that is not fun to talk about, I just, I don't really like to talk about it. Obviously there are big, important, noteworthy things that need to be discussed, even though they're not fun. But when it comes to a game being mediocre or having 
less resolution than this other game, or this game isn't a locked 60 FPS. Like, I just move on. I just move on with my life. But we got the new roadmap for Halo Infinite this week, and the community is not happy. The community is not happy with the news that 343 relinquished to its audience this week. So a lot of us knew that co-op, online co-op specifically, and Forge were set to drop in August, September. We didn't really hear much about either officially until September 1st when Halo Infinite dropped its updated roadmap for the rest of 2022 and early 2023. So, all right. Before I dive into my thoughts on the overall state of Halo and the, the, the future, its potential for the future, here are the big notes for what they've dropped. So Halo Infinite's next major content, content patch will be titled The Winter Update and will launch on November 8th, 2022. The update will include online network co-op, the Forge map building tool, a new XP progression system, two new multiplayer maps, and a free 30-tier battle pass. Alongside this announcement, the team announced that local co-op was canceled completely. Season 3, Echoes Within, has been pushed back to March 7th, 2023, and will include new maps, modes, sandbox items, expanded customization, and the custom game's browser feature. Okay, so a lot to unpack here regarding Halo Infinite. First and foremost, let's start with the big elephant in the room. Season 3, delayed to March of 2023. Uh, recent history told me that people were very annoyed that Season 2 was going to be another six-month season. People were not happy that, you know, back to back, they were willing to let it slide. I think for season one, as they figured out the roadmap, they figured out their, their schedule, their cadence for content. They're like, you know what? Okay. A six, six month season in the grand scheme of thing, things isn't the biggest deal. Towards the back end of that season, people were like, okay, six months is, it's way too long. It's way too long. There's not enough content here for six, six months. And then season two came out and guess what? Six months, yet again, people were very annoyed. People were very vocal about six months being way too long for a season, especially when we've seen what has been added to the game in those timeframes. And so now we're at a world where we're going to have a 10-month season. We're going <laughs> to have a 10-month season two. And sure, the November update does drop a new mini 30-tier battle pass. It does bring some additional content. So it's not like there is nothing at all in that period of time but a 10 month season two is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of halo fans um and again i love halo big big fan of the franchise a big fan of what the game shipped as the 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 overall gameplay loop was tight all of the stages were creative um, I love the multiplayer of Halo Infinite. I put a lot of time into the multiplayer of Halo Infinite early on. And I think that is where a lot of these frustrations come from is people love the core experience and they, they just want more of it. And the patience, you know, even before this announcement was thin, thin. People were very, as you've seen, if you've been online, the sentiments surrounding Halo Infinite, they have not been positive. They've been so 
overwhelmingly negative. And again, some of it is people who just want to see the game fail, but a lot of it is passionate fans. And again, passion is a dangerous thing. You got to be careful how you use passion. Passion can be weaponized. Passion can be villainized in huge ways. So passion isn't inherently a good thing, but a lot of these concerns are coming from people who are passionate Halo fans who just want a great game to play, who just want more content for a game that they love. And I don't think that's inherently bad. That, that stance, I think, is healthy. You can be bummed. You can be disappointed. You can be frustrated. I think those are all fair. The, the, the rollout of Halo Infinite's post-launch content has not been what it should be. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you play Halo Infinite. The post-launch support so far for this game has been bad. And again, I don't like to just casually just say, oh, this is bad for the sake of saying bad. It's compared to any other ongoing game, Halo Infinite's post-launch support has not been good enough for anyone under any standard. And again, people say, oh, Halo Infinite's held to a different standard. Halo Infinite's held to the standard that it set up for itself. Um, and if that standard was too high, that you can't be mad when people <laughs> are calling you out for not delivering on it. Unfortunately, it sucks. It sucks to see so much negativity surrounding this game. And that was compounded even further when 343 Industries announced nine months after launch that the local split screen for co-op that they promised was canceled. And so... There's been some debates online from people who are like, oh, does split screen matter? Uh, I haven't played sp split screen in whatever time. But the reality is they canceled a promised feature. You promised your audience something and you didn't deliver on it. And this is not the first time that they have canceled something that they promised. Uh, we were going to get co-op at launch. We were going to get forge at launch. We were going to get ray tracing. There's a lot of things that have been promised or that were promised for the launch of Halo Infinite that coming up on a year post-launch are not in the game. And so that has a lot of people questioning the future of, of Halo Infinite. And I think rightfully so. Again, I'm not all doom and gloom. I have plenty of stuff to play. I would love a reason to play Halo Infinite consistently. Right now, it's not there. And that sucks. It sucks to say, but I don't have a huge interest to play Halo Infinite. I will play randomly. I'll, you know, I'll jump on with some friends. We'll get a couple matches in, but my need or incentive to play regularly, it's, it's not there. 343 has not done enough for me to keep me playing that game. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Um, again, I'm honestly having more fun just playing as Master Chief in Fortnite. I don't know what that says. Like, I didn't think that would be a thing. If you told me a couple of years ago, I would be playing Master Chief in Fortnite and having more fun playing Master Chief in Fortnite than playing Halo Infinite, I would have said, you are out of your mind. You are out of your freaking mind. But no, that's the reality. That is the brute, my brutally honest review, y'all. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've joked about that before. But um, so there's a lot that 343 Industries and Halo Infinite needs to do to win back its community here. So... Co-op, thankfully, was confirmed. Coming much later than I wanted, co-op for me, again, I was one of the people complaining about co-op not being there at launch, being really bummed and disappointed that co-op wasn't going to be there at launch, and it's finally coming now, and I'm definitely going to play through it with some friends. So that's coming at least. The Forge map builder, so not the full rollout of Forge, but at least you can build maps in Forge. That's coming in Season 2 as well. There's going to be a couple maps. There's going to be a 30-tier battle pass. 
Uh, it's going to be a free battle pass, at least, so you won't have to pay for it. And you'll get you'll get some free stuff. You'll have some refreshed content to grind in Halo Infinite. So there are positives on the horizon for people who want reasons to go back to Halo Infinite. But, and again, I talked about this online because I really do feel for the people at 343. I see a lot of people just really aggressively dunking on 343, calling the developers lazy, saying a lot of really horrifying, disappointing things about 343. And the reality is there's a lot of passionate, hard hardworking people showing up every single day trying to make a great Halo game. That is, that is the reality. Whether you want to accept that reality or not, that is the reality. So when you say, oh, the devs are just lazy, to me, that is a lazy argument because you don't understand how development works. I think we can look at the, the structure of Xbox Game Studios, the structure of 343 Industries, how this game leans so heavily on contract workers, and I think we can look at that and say, okay, those are, those are obviously problems. Clearly, this game, you said it was going to be a 10-year ongoing game. You said you were going to have consistent content, but you did not have an infrastructure in place to deliver on that content. So why did this come out then? If it came out missing a bunch of features and it came out not being able to support its ongoing game promise, why on earth did you release it when you did? And unfortunately, I've talked about this before, but it tied into the anniversary of Halo's marketing. And I didn't want, as cool as it was and as cool as it is to have that, that moment where on the 20th anniversary you know, of, of Halo, you, you, the game comes out. There's all the cool anniversary controllers, all of the cool anniversary gear. It was this really cool celebration of Halo. And getting that game to release in that spot, yes, that, that, would, that was obviously the goal, the dream. And to have that work would have been amazing. But then that just shows me that in hindsight that they just put that game out just to, to coincide with that anniversary and not because the team necessarily wanted it out and not because it was necessarily ready to put out into the world. It's because it needed to coincide with that marketing anniversary. And that bums me out because I've talked about how I wanted Halo Infinite to be the kickoff of the, the, the new expectation for xbox game studios to be the rollout of of what xbox game studios is and how xbox is empowering these teams and enabling these teams to deliver the best games that they've ever made and to give them the support that they need to make sure that you know a halo infinite an ongoing free-to-play halo infinite game has that consistent support and that roadmap of content um <clears throat> and that was just it wasn't the case and that, that's a bummer. That's a huge bummer for me because I'm, I'm always going to champion the people working on the games. You know, I've worked in, I worked in Hollywood, uh, did audio production in film. And a lot, of the, a lot of the people in that space get treated like absolute garbage. And you don't, you don't get a lot of credit. You work long hours. You do a lot of extracurricular stuff. And you don't really get much respect or appreciation for it. And I've talked to developers in similar situations who, yeah, are... are grinding and are hustling, doing everything they can to put out this game. And then they're just met with just the ugliest, nastiest sentiments online. And I, I know how that feels in some, some regards. So I, I'm very careful with how I word my criticism because I know 
for some people, they just feel helpless and they feel so defeated about this, this rollout and, and the game and the fan sentiment because nobody wants to put out a game. Nobody wants to spend years of their life putting out a game and have the audience not like it. That is, that is such a miserable feeling. And I know, I know a lot of that team feels that way. And I know a lot of that team feels helpless in the sense that there's nothing that they could directly do to correct that, but they have to show up for work every day and try to make the best of it and try to make Halo good and hopefully get the, the redemption arc for Halo Infinite. And so for them, I, I truly genuinely feel. And so that's why I'm not like, oh, 343 devs suck. Or I've seen a lot of people say, yeah, they're just not a talented team. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's dial it back. Let's dial it back a lot when we're making those sweeping statements about people who are feeling really bad about this project. And a lot of people who worked hard, delivered great content and are you know, just dealing with the repercussions of this game coming out. It's, it's frustrating. So season three coming in March, that is another big deal. Again, I've seen people say, well, it's not really a delay because there's the, the refresh in winter and sure. Yeah, there's something in winter, but it's, it's clearly not enough for them to call it a season. If they had enough to call it a season, they would have called it a season. So clearly they aren't comfortable calling it a full seasonal rollout, which suggests it's probably, you know, it's gonna be a little bit to satiate the, the diehard community, but it's not going to be a huge drop of content. <sighs> so yeah, I guess now we can talk about the comeback, how Halo comes back from this. So I think Forge will be a huge boon. We've seen a lot of cool, compelling videos. Um, Andy's toy room from Andy's playroom from Toy Story is one that's been kind of viral on Twitter if you've been online and somebody recreated the bedroom from Toy Story in Forge and had the little Spartan shrunk down and there was a little Jenga set and there was the ball. And so there's a lot of potential there for the community while 343 figures out its, its cadence of content to come in and fill those gaps. And you know whether or not you think that's okay, that's besides the point. The reality is there will be a lot of passionate Halo players who will step up and make really great content in Forge. And it sounds like they've at least spent a lot of time ensuring that Forge will have a ton of tools and you can do some really exciting things. We've seen people recreate PT and other, other things like that in, in the Forge engine. So there will be potential there for Forge to have this, this community. And I remember when Halo 3 dropped, you know, after we were done, after we were tired of the campaign, after we were tired of the core multiplayer maps, how much time we spent just going through and playing Forge. And for seats, you know, for later this, this year, it doesn't seem like we'll be able to have the custom game browser and be able to do that per se, but that foundation will be set. And so that makes me a little more optimistic about the community's investment and the people who want to engage with Halo, they can spend days and weeks making stages in Halo. And, you know, once that big rollout hits, that we can have that resurgence again. Um, Tatanka, clearly not coming anytime soon. The, the Battle Royale Project Tatanka, the code name that's been discussed previously, that is not coming in 2022, probably not coming in early 2023. So that I think is going to be another huge boon for the game as well, because as we've seen with Fortnite, people still want to play battle royales as much as, you know, a lot of people have struggled to compete in the space. Call of Duty Warzone and Fortnite are still humongous. People still want that battle royale experience. So that could be a huge boon for Halo as well. Um, 
the, the refresh of the XP system, I think is going to be huge as well, because that was a huge complaint for me is that the overall progression of Halo Infinite early on did not feel good. Just objectively to me, it felt really bad, really slow, arduous slog, the worst aspects of free-to-play gaming, um, the 100% challenge-based progression, like things that I don't like about free-to-play gaming were embodied with Halo Infinite's launch. So those changes, again, really nice. An overarching progression system will be really nice. Um, people want campaign content at this point. People are, are ready for the, the big next chapter because no spoilers, but if you, if you finish the Halo Infinite campaign, it is clearly a humongous cliffhanger. And as much as I enjoyed the campaign, I think that was my biggest criticism. It was like, all right, and we're getting ready to do something and see you next time. Next week, on Halo Infinite is is what that felt like to me. And again, if if those campaign expansions come at a regular cadence, all right, that's cool. But if it's three, four years, that's gonna be less cool. It's gonna be a le less exciting. So it'll be interesting to see if that is delivered consistently. So all in all, it has been a tough week for Halo Infinite fans. I've had a lot of people DMing me. I've had a lot of people tagging me on Twitter about the situation. Um, local co-op was a big, big point of contention for a lot of people. And I think the reality is isolated. A lot of these things maybe aren't the biggest deal, but now everything is just compounding. All of these little things like ray tracing and local co-op and co-op being delayed and, you know, the limited number of maps shipping in the first year, all of these things are compounding. And now you have people saying, well, I'm done. I'm done waiting for Halo Infinite. I don't, I don't care about Halo Infinite anymore. And if that's how you feel, you, know, you are more than entitled to do that. Where I'm at right now is when Halo Infinite gives me a reason to come back, I will be there because I love the core gameplay. I love the loop. They haven't done enough for me and what I want as a player to keep me engaging with Halo Infinite consistently. So I'm just going to wait. And if it has a big comeback, if it does something cool, the battle royale really hits, I would love a reason to play Halo Infinite consistently. But for me and what I want and how my friends engage with games, it's just, it's not there. It's, it's not. And again, I don't like to just sit here and talk about all the negative things surrounding Halo Infinite. I, I really don't. It's, it's not that fun. It's not a fun conversation. And I see a lot of it just elevated to the worst levels online because people are mad. And again, you can, you can be frustrated. You can be mad. That's fine. Um, but that anger gets, it gets ugly. It gets really, really ugly. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't want to amplify the ugliness of it all, but there are so many just problems with the state of Halo Infinite, with the rollout of Halo Infinite. And what I want to see from Microsoft, what I want to see from 343 Industries, I want them to tell us they are investing more in permanent employees. And that's pro it's probably hard to recruit right now on Halo Infinite because of the overall sentiment, but I want to hear them say, we are growing our staff to support this game. Because to me, that when I heard those reports of all the contract work, that, that was a red flag for me because if you have a 10 year ongoing game, why don't you have the justification for full-time staffers? Legally, yeah, you can only do 18 months for these contract folks. So you have this revolving door of contract employees coming and going. Why isn't the core team bigger? If you truly are 
supporting Halo Infinite for 10 years. And let's be real, grow that team so 343 Industries can experiment outside of Halo. I think that's really what that team is going to need now to you know, shake this off, you know, grow Halo, grow 343 Industries core team, make sure there is ongoing support for Halo Infinite, and then give a core segment of Halo or 343 Industries the opportunity to create a new IP. Let them re-energize, refresh, give them that freedom. And I think that would be a huge boon for them. It would still give us content for Halo Infinite. It would grow 343 Industries. And so that way they could leverage these different teams to assist on projects. But if you are one of Microsoft's core teams, it is a little strange to me that um, clearly they're not staffed well enough or clearly they don't have the tools they need to deliver content because man, the content is not there. Really, really not. Okay, that is enough negative talk of Halo Infinite for me. I see Scott in the chat asking Miles, how big is the core team? I don't know. I would love to have that information. I don't know if that's readily available, but um, maybe I'll do some digging and see if I can find out. You know, I've been trying to reach out to folks and get some, obviously no, a lot of people don't want to talk about it or can't talk about it, but I want to know why there aren't more people on that team or why they can't get more people at this point. They're hiring. They're definitely hiring. Um, I just want to know on what level and if they're having struggles filling those positions given the state of Halo Infinite. Because imagine if you are a really talented developer, you're in the space, you're doing well, you're looking for your next project, and then something comes up for Halo Infinite. Oh, yeah, let me look into it. And then you go online, you're like, wow, do I want that? Do I want to be involved with a project that has this much baggage around it? This much negative energy from the community? It's so it's probably a harder sell. And again, people love Halo. People are passionate about Halo. So you can find people willing to work on Halo. But I do wonder if they are struggling to hire because of the sentiment surrounding the game right now. All right, couple super chats from Hargeet Chani. Don't really care about the seasons in Halo, but I really want new PVE modes, firefight or something like that. Campaign content, continuing Master Chief story arc or side stories and maps. Yes, maps are the biggest thing. Maps are the biggest problem for me when it comes to the multiplayer side. Because I knew ahead of launch that Halo Infinite was going to launch with a small, a really, really small pool of maps. But I was hopeful that this meant that every month or every other month, we would get a drop of a new map. Mid-season refresh. Here's the new map. Get excited. Here's a two-week event. Like That's what I was expecting from the cadence of post-launch support with seasons. So by the time the end of the first year happened, we would have, I don't know, upwards of, let's say 16 to 20 maps. Um, clearly that's not the case. Clearly that is not their, their current strategy, but it would be cool to see some more PVE modes. I love Halo co-op. It's a huge part of my life and I would love more opportunities to play that. Uh, right now there's, yeah, there's nothing. There's no co-op in Halo in any capacity. And that's, uh, disappointing. <laughs> Um, all right. Hargi Chani says, unfortunately, Miles, 343 can't hire more as Microsoft has a hiring freeze. 343 has had plenty of Microsoft created headwinds to contend with, along with some of their own bad decisions. Yes, um, with the anticipation of the recession and all of that good stuff, Microsoft has delisted some job listings. Um, I don't know if that's impacting core development in the same way. Um, but that being said, 
that was only a very recent development, like within the last month. So that, that excuse only works for me within the last month. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some news on the horizon. Microsoft and a bunch of other figures are going to be at the Tokyo Game Show for 2022 this year. And as I touched on earlier, I'm really interested to see what Microsoft is bringing to the table as they are gaining momentum in Japan. They're talking about their commitments in Japan. But one other noteworthy Japanese publisher has confirmed that they will be there, has announced their schedule, and with part of the schedule is an announcement from a, quote, world-loved franchise. And that's our good pals, Konami. And if you are a longtime Konami fan like myself, who grew up loving Castlevania, Silent Hill, Metal Gear, it's been a rough decade, y'all. It's been, it's been a hard, sad decade. We haven't had a Castlevania in so long. Lords of Shadow 2, correct me if I'm wrong, was the last Castlevania, mainline Castlevania game, and that was on Xbox, was on Xbox 360. We went an entire generation without a new Castlevania. And the same thing for Silent Hill. The last official Silent Hill that was released was Silent Hill Downpour. And that, in my opinion, was the worst Silent Hill game that's ever been made. So it's, it's been rough out in these streets as a Konami fan, especially someone who loves Castlevania and Silent Hill, two of my favorite franchises of all time. Um, Konami's just been sitting on them. They've been making plenty of merch, Plenty of Silent Hill skateboards, plenty of pachinko machines, but not a lot on the game front. But Konami has announced that it will be revealing a new title from a, quote, world-loved franchise at the Tokyo Game Show. So immediately, when you see that, that quote taken out of context, you're like, oh man, they're doing it. Silent Hill, y'all. Silent Hill's finally getting revealed, dude. The Metal Gear Solid remake, that's happening, yo. A new Castlevania, baby, let's do it. Ninja Theory's making that Castlevania game. But then when you dig deeper, you get some more context for it. And we've had folks like the VGC report on this announcement and what they think might happen. So according to a couple of the folks over at VGC, they've heard rumors of a Metal Gear Solid 1 through 3 remaster. So they are suggesting that this could potentially be what Konami was talking about in this context, based on what they've heard. Again, these aren't remakes. This would be a, another remaster of Metal Gear Solid 1 through 3, which would be cool. It would be cool to have those on modern platforms because you can get it on 360 now, and it's been pretty cheap. It's, it's, it's relisted, so you can at least buy Metal Gear Solid you know, 2 and 3 HD. But having more remasters of 1 through 3, that'd be cool. However, some internet sleuths, sleuths have done some more digging, and we might have a better idea of the franchise getting revealed from Konami at the Tokyo Game Show. So some, some people have done some digging, and they have pointed out that on this schedule, it says that voice actor Yuki Kaji will take the stage to announce this unannounced project. Doing some more digging, people have discovered that Yuki Kaji has done voices on two Su Sukoden games. So now people are speculating that given that he has done voices for Sukuden games and that it's been a long time since Sukuden has been has been a thing and Sukuden is technically a world-loved franchise 
that this new announcement could actually be a fresh entry in the Sukaden series, which is at this point more of a, uh, I guess, kind of obscure JRPG series that was really beloved in PS1 and PS2. Like it, that was when it had its peak, its heydays. Um, but it's been a long time since we've had an entry in that series. So that is kind of the current speculation. That is kind of where I align based on the fact that the voice actor is from that series. And it would be strange to have him announce something completely different unless he's doing the voices for something else. But um, I am curious to see what Konami brings to the table. So some folks are probably saying, what about Silent Hill? When are we seeing Silent Hill? There's been so many rumors surrounding Silent Hill. And this saga, it's been memed, the, Ko the Kojima Silent Hill thing, the abandoned thing, that's just a huge meme at this point. But the reality is there are Silent Hill projects that are in the works. There's been a lot of people who have spoken about this. Um, the current rumor speculation is an episodic Silent Hill from, I believe it was Annapurna, um, and Bloober Team handling a remake of Silent Hill 2. And so those are on the horizon. I don't know what the timeline looks like. I don't know how far along those projects are. I don't know if both are still currently in development even. Um, but a while back, I was putting all the pieces together surrounding the Bloober Team Silent Hill thing. And so if that one happens, that would be fun just because, you know, that wasn't something I had heard, but I had, you know, went down the internet rabbit hole about all of the coincidences surrounding Bloober and who they've worked with. And it would be cool to see that one revealed. So when it comes to Silent Hill, I do, I do believe that one of the Silent Hill projects has the potential to be revealed before the end of this year. Again, I don't have any data from anyone saying, oh yeah, it's definitely happening at X event. This is just speculation on my part. I'm of two minds. It's either going to be at the Game Awards or it's going to be at play, a PlayStation event. And there have been a lot of rumors circulating that, you know, oh, maybe, maybe PlayStation has an event next week. I think with God of War, Ragnarok being the cover issue for Game Informer and Tokyo Game Show being so close, if PlayStation is doing an event this month, I think it'll be at the end of the month. And if Silent Hill 2 is, in fact, a PlayStation exclusive, as it's been rumored to be, I imagine it would be shown at a PlayStation showcase. So that's kind of my current speculation surrounding Silent Hill and when we might see Silent Hill revealed in some capacity. Again, at this point, it is just a meme, but Silent Hill, I just want it revealed so we can all move on. We can all move past this saga of every single showcase ever having the, the rumors and the speculation that, oh, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one with Silent Hill, dudes. Um, I just want to be past it. Please, please, let's just, let's just be past all right, Xbox has also confirmed that they are going to be at Tokyo Game Show 2022. And on September 15th, Xbox will host a stream that quote foc that focuses on, quote, existing titles from Xbox Game Studios and titles launching from developer partners. So that line is the line that has me very interested. Titles launching from developer partners. We know Kojima is working on a project with Xbox. Kojima is a, a partner. Koja, Kojima Game Studios, though, has said that they are not going to show any games at Tokyo Game Show. So I don't think this is the Kojima Xbox project. But we've had people from the publishing division of Xbox come out online and talk about how they are hiring 
for their team because they have a lot of exciting partnership projects in the works with Japanese developers. And they have talked about the size and scope and put a lot of energy into letting people know that these are going to be a big deal. So I'm really curious to see if any of those bigger projects are revealed here and what they are, because I'll be honest, I haven't heard anything when it comes to what the Japanese projects could be outside of the, the long rumored Kojima Xbox thing, which has now been confirmed. I hadn't heard, I haven't heard anything about potential realistic partner projects with Japanese developers and Xbox. So even if we see one at this showcase, I'm going to be pretty excited. Um, there are so many possibilities for what it could be. And, and that's what makes it really hard to pinpoint like my guess guesstimates for what we might see. So I guess I'll just pose the question to you, you guys watching, what do you want to see from Xbox at Tokyo game show 22, 2022? Um, obviously I want, I would love to see a host of franchises that have historically skipped Xbox, make their way to the platform franchises that have, you know, bigger, big impact in Japan specifically. Um, and this is one I always talk about, people are sick of hearing me talking about, but the Mana series, Trials of Mana, Legend of Mana, Secret of Mana, please, please be on Xbox, all right? You drop those in Game Pass, ooh-wee, baby, that's it. Tokyo Game Show 2022 is set for your boy. You do that, and you show me a new amazing partner project? Oh, oh, man. I'm riding high for weeks, baby. I'm riding high for weeks. So again, that's that's my... That's me just trying to will it into existence. I haven't heard of anything official when it comes to mana on Xbox. And I don't know if there's any, any hope really, but I will still not give up hope on that franchise because it's very important to me. And again, I own them elsewhere. I always see people on Twitter say, well, just buy them on PlayStation or buy them on Switch. Buy them on P I own them all there. Legend of Mana I own on PC, PlayStation, and Switch. All right. Don't tell me where to buy it. I've already bought it. <laughs> I just want more people to play it. And I know a lot of peop the people I align with play primarily on Xbox. And I want people to experience the magic and wonder of the world of mana, okay? Wherever they are. Is that a crime? It's not a crime, but... Um, what do, let me look at the chat and see what people are hoping for. Ooh, Rainwalker says, I hope more of Slitterhead is shown. Yes. So Slitterhead is coming from the creator of Silent Hill, and it's this weird body horror action horror game. So there's a lot of disgusting mutate. If you played evil within kind of that mutated body forms, um, it looks like it's set in like a nineties era, Tokyo inspired city. So it's got this kind of early internet vibe to it. Um, Slitterhead, one of my most highly anticipated projects, just because it looks like it's going to be absolutely unreal in terms of visual presentation it's they've said it's not going to be straight horror there is a huge focus on action for it so maybe it'll be like ghostwire tokyo in the sense where the setting is horror but the gameplay isn't but that being said if you haven't checked out slitterhead do it do it and i guess i'll open it up to questions as we get towards the end of the show here i'm going to give a huge shout out to all the amazing people who who tuned in live if you missed the beginning of the show, like I said, this is going to be the last episode of Xbox Chatter Days for the month of September. I'll be back. I think it's October 1st is the first one of October, but I'm going to be moving to Washington State, so I'm going to deal with packing. My office is going to be torn apart. 
going to be driving. So I'm taking some week, some time off so I can settle in and not have to stress about scheduling and all of that good stuff. But if you have any other burning questions, anything you want me to talk about before I wrap this show up, I'll, dr I'll feel free to drop it in the chat. Um, and yeah, again, huge shout out to everyone who tunes in to Xbox Chatterdays. Really, truly means a lot. Um, the chat here is always cool, but on the live show, it's been cool to watch the audio version of the show grow. If you are listening to the audio version, if you want to help us out and leave a review, that helps get it out to more folks. We're, again, we're a little late to the game there, but it's been cool watching that grow considering we didn't start the audio version until, God, I think episode 40 something. So yeah, there's a, a huge segment of the show not available on the audio side, but for the folks who tune in live, and hang with me on Saturdays. Love it. Appreciate it. Appreciate y'all. Jason Max says, you guys think Deathloop is coming to Xbox this month? That's interesting. That is an interesting question. There's been a lot of assumptions about the exclusivity regarding titles. Um, a lot of people said, oh yeah, Deathloop, one year exclusive. One year timed exclusive for PlayStation. I th correct me if I'm wrong, that came out September 14th. If I'm wrong, sorry, but that means we probably would have heard about it um, unless they're just shadow dropping it. Unless on September 14th, we're just going to get a blog post that says, surprise, Deathloop is on Xbox now and in Xbox Game Pass. So I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know what the exact exclusivity terms for Deathloop are. I don't know if it's one year or if it was part of the window where PlayStation's like, all right, if we're doing exclusives, we want two years or more. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what that looks like. So I'm going to say maybe, <laughs> maybe. You know, Donnie with, some, with a wholesome super chat here says, love the show, love the chat, love you for modding like a boss. Tuning in almost every single week. Modding, keeping the riffraff out of the chat. Appreciate that. Appreciate you. And um, Paula Cooper asks, do you think they can announce Evil Within 3 at Tokyo Game Show? I think they can, but I also don't know if it's in development at all. <laughs> so it would be cool. I'm obviously a huge horror fan. Would love to see the Evil Within get revealed. Um, just don't know that that is going to happen. Or, And when I say going to happen, I mean, I don't know if they're making an Evil Within 3. I've, I haven't heard anything that suggests that that is a game that is happening. So, um, would be cool. I would support it hundred percent. Do I think it's happening? Not probably not soon. Probably not any soon. Jupiter asks, any idea what in exiles next game is going to be about in exiles stuff is shrouded in mystery right now. And they've been teasing coming out and saying, Oh, Phil Spencer played our game. Tee hee. So they clearly, whatever they're working on is in some form of playable state. So I am really curious. We, you know, we know kind of sort of what compulsion is working on. Um, I would love to see that officially revealed, but in exile, I don't know. We don't really know exactly what they're working on. And in terms of when that could get revealed, I wouldn't say Tokyo game show um, because they specifically mention existing Xbox Game Studios projects there. So it seems like on the first party side at the show, we're not gonna get anything new. Or at least that's the expectation they've set. Maybe there'll be a surprise of some kind, but that's the expectation they've set for Tokyo Game Show. So again, the usual suspects, 
maybe at the Game Awards, maybe at the E3-ish window next year. Actually, E3 will actually be a thing officially next year. So, hmm. 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 King Bill asks, do you think Ubisoft will surprise or tease a new Rayman game? <sighs> I love Rayman. I would love that. Rayman Legends was so criminally underrated. So criminally underappreciated. That was such a beautiful, amazing game. So critically beloved. And I think when that didn't really take off in the way that they thought it would or wanted it to, I think that's kind of put the series on a hiatus. So unless somebody has like a, a brand new idea that's going to fundamentally shake up Rayman, I don't know. I don't know. But again, I love Rayman. Love me some Rayman. All right, y'all, that is going to do it for your boy for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Wrapping up episode 79, gearing up for a nice pretty much month off of podcasting. Appreciate all of you tuning in live. Appreciate all of you listening on audio services. I will still be around on Twitter if you need things, um, but I will not be guesting or doing any podcasts for the next month. So a little podcast vacation while I move, which is miserable. I would rather be podcasting. Trust me. I would rather be doing Xbox Chatterdays every single day than, than moving. But here we are. I'm excited to head back to the Pacific Northwest, be right across the pond from the old Seattle, Washington. And yeah, overall looking forward to the move, despite the actual moving part. But thank you so much for tuning in. And I won't catch you guys next week. Have a great weekend, everybody.